A while back, I read a book by author Greg Olson. This book took me on an emotional roller coaster, and I honestly could not put it down. The book was If You Tell, a true story of murder, family secrets, and the unbreakable bond of sisterhood. After reading about the abuse the Notech sisters suffered and the three lives that monster Shelly took, I found myself reading more and more about this monster online. Today I want to share with you everything I learned about Shelly and Dave Notech, the monster she created. This episode contains graphic descriptions of child abuse and, ab and abuse that eventually leads to the death of three innocent people. Listener discretion advised. Hey everyone, it's Emma. Welcome back to another episode of Oh, There's a Crime. I hope you're all doing okay. Hope everyone's having a good week. I'm hanging in there. But, uh... We're going to talk about something uh, pretty dark today, so sit tight and thanks for listening. I don't have uh, really much to start out with here. Um, I've been keeping an eye on Tiffany Foster, the last missing persons case I talked about in my missing persons episode. Nothing new has come up. Um, Reginald still won't say anything. My big question is if uh, he last saw her leaving their place to go to the grocery store, but then days later they found her car that he had moved to a different town. It j I just like, so then obviously he would have had to have seen her right like she would have come back or what I don't it's it's weird and I hope Tiffany is found soon I'm definitely gonna keep that one updated because it's just a a weird situation and Reginald just needs to come out with whatever information he has I'm it's not looking good for him right you know he's the last person to see her the one that moved her car that had her purse and keys in it it's just it's not looking good for him so I think he just needs to clear his conscience and come out and say what happened or if he knows something you know he's got to know something so anyways unfortunately I don't have any updates on that I promise you I'm keeping an eye out on it and uh, hopefully by Sunday this week, you will have the second episode of Missing Persons. I'm working on that right now. Probably going to try to do some more uh, recent ones. I definitely like looking at the older Missing Persons cases because it's like, where are they? They've been missing for decades and nothing, just nothing. It's it's crazy to me. So I'm... Um, I'm excited to bring that to you. I hope you all liked those. If you don't, let me know. <laughs> I probably will still keep on doing them because I personally like uh, getting these people's stories out there because they're not really told. Like, for example, with Tiffany Foster, there is not a whole lot of sources out there that you can look into pertaining to her case. So it's really difficult. You know, there's there's just not enough info out there and you know with all these missing persons they all need to be brought to light you know and 
I just really, I, no one likes or enjoys true crime. People are fascinated by it because it's such a weird thing. Like, it's just, it's crazy what people can do, what people are capable of, you know? It's just, I've never been in that mindset. I, you know, I don't plan on ever being in that mindset, but it's, it's wild that some people are either created that way or born that way. You know, nature versus nurture has always been a big debate in true crime, and I think it, it, it definitely pertains to a little bit of both. I mean, there are people out there who grow up, have a normal childhood, don't suffer from abuse, and they end up like killing people or becoming a serial rapist. So, and then you have the people that grow up in really abusive households and are created and taught that behaviors like this are okay. And then they go off and they start committing serious crimes. So it's really interesting to see how it's not just black and white. There can be a, maybe a little bit of both. There could be, you know, a head injury. It, it, there's so many factors that play into it. And not everything is the same. <laughs> One thing that always gets me laughing is when, like, police stations or news reporters say well this person had no history of crime like yeah that's kind of shocking but every day there are criminals out there getting caught that have no criminal record and that just means they haven't been caught yet that's all it is so to me personally I think that mindset needs to stop that well they've been such a good citizen all their lives like anybody is capable of anything so I just think that you know those people coming out and saying like oh they they've never committed a crime so it's shocking let's give them a lesser sentence like no if they did something truly horrible like they should I hope you get what I'm saying I'm just kind of ranting right now I don't know this has always been an issue for me when when it's pointed out when criminals don't have like a criminal history because anybody is capable of anything and I will continue to live by that it's not a black and white topic it's it's not you know there are petty criminals out there who have you know long lists of records of petty crimes like theft and whatnot and they never go off and commit murder you know so it's but then you there are also petty criminals out there who maybe something goes wrong and they do end up committing murder. It's it's not black and white. It's not easy to tell, you know. But at the end of the day, we do have to remember that there are good people out there. I mean, the bad people, yeah, it's scary, you know, but we can't just live in fear our whole lives, watching our back, you know, wondering if that person across the street is going to harm me in some way. You know, you just can't really live with that mindset. It's not, it's not good, you know, because then you're going to think you're never going to look for the good in people. And there are good people out there. I promise you that maybe you just haven't found them yet, but I promise there are good people out there. So sorry for that little rant. <laughs> I don't know. I just kind of had to just kind of rant, I guess. I don't know. It's been a, it's been a long week. I've been doing a lot of digging um, 
Today we're going to talk about Michelle Notek, most commonly known as Shelly. I've had this one on the back burner for some time. Uh, like I said in the beginning, I read this book a while back by Greg Olson. If you tell, I will definitely link that in the description. It'll send you right to where you can get that book. I mean, I, like I said, I couldn't put it down, the detail. And it, it did lead me to just keep digging into Shelly and the horrendous crimes she has committed. And what's even scarier is that she is eligible for parole this year. <laughs> I don't even want to think about that. Um, this one will definitely probably do it in two parts. I think uh, growing as a podcaster, I've learned that at first people are going to prefer those shorter episodes because <laughs> I am no professional. I don't know what I'm doing. So yeah, this one's going to be two parts. So I mean, I'm going to get them out both at the same time. So if you want to listen to them all the way through, I promise in the second episode, I will not rant as long. We will just get right into it. So without further ado, here is the story of three sisters who survived and unfortunately three people uh, did not. And it's, it's truly tragic. Shelly had no right to teach any of these. Shelly had no right to treat any of these people the way that she did. And this one, maybe I went on this rant because this one is interesting because for the most part, Shelly had a pretty normal upbringing. She was born in 1954. I could care less of her birth date. Um, this is all going to take place in Washington for the most part. She was born in Battleground, Washington. Her dad's name is Les, and then her mom um, had her when she was younger. Her mom and dad were not together. And Les got married to Shelly's stepmom, and we're going to call her Judy. In the book, Greg Olson uses the pseudonym, I think Lisa, Linda, Lisa, one of those two. I can't remember, but um, I didn't want to just take that from from the book so we're gonna call her stepmom Judy so uh Les marries Judy and then his ex-wife is like uh yeah come get these kids so it was Shelly and then she had two other brothers um one of her brothers was like an infant so he stayed with his mom for a little bit but he eventually um ended up in Les's company or I'm sorry he <laughs> eventually ended up in Les's comp the uh, he eventually ended up in Les's custody. <laughs> so basically, more or less, um, stepmom Judy raised these kids and they had a good childhood. Les and his mom, who I'm going to call Grandma Ann, that's what they call her, Grandma Ann, they owned and operated some nursing homes. So that was a pretty decent uh, income. And Les gave the kids everything that they needed, you know. For the, from what I understand is he was a good dad, you know, he provided them with what they want. With, I'm sorry, that he provided them with what they wanted and what they needed. He provided them with what they needed and with what they wanted, especially Shelly. And so there's, in Shelly's childhood, there's really nothing that points to what went wrong to make her be the person she is, but 
her personality of her being I don't even know how to describe her she's just a monster so we're just gonna call her a monster she's basically been a monster her entire life um Judy will bring up that Grandma Anne and Shelly were quite two peas in a pod, like pretty much the same person. Shelly admired her Grandma Anne, and Shelly was definitely Grandma Anne's favorite grandchild. Like she would openly admit that Shelly was her favorite. So, just one example of how fucked up Shelly is at 15 years old. She went into um, custody of the state because she accused her father of raping her. And this just this accusation just wasn't true. The police investigated, obviously, and they found it wasn't true. It was all made up, all of it. And it's just it's weird because even after this incident, you would think less would be like more cautious around her or whatever. But he still just continued to give her what she wanted. Les and Judy had a hard time finding schools that would keep Shelly like so she would go to a school and then by the end of the semester by the time for next year they would just straight up tell her parents yeah she's not welcome here anymore because that's just how evil she was so when I say I read this book if you tell I'm only probably going to cover like five to ten percent of it I highly recommend reading it if you want to learn more about this or just doing some online digging because it's wild. The things that these sisters went through, these three victims went through, and um, highly recommend reading it. I'm There's so much more into it than what we're going to get into. It's crazy. So eventually, Shelly went and lived with her aunt and uncle because she would cry wolf to her aunt that her parents were abusive, they were mean to her, they didn't love her, yada, yada, yada. All this was bullshit. And what I'm going to say about her aunt and uncle, uh, after Shelly moved out, her aunt and uncle got a divorce. So take that as you want, but one can assume it looks like Shelly ruined their marriage. I mean, who knows if they were rocky before she even moved in, but there's no way that Shelly helped with that because it it was the Shelly show. Everything is about Shelly. Oh, I guess I'm sorry. I should have mentioned. So her aunt and uncle lived in Pennsylvania and that is where she met her boyfriend, Randy Rivardo. Shelly was 17 and they met in 1971 and Randy seemed like a pretty good guy. But Shelly wanted to go back home to Washington after graduation, so they broke up because, um, I don't know, they just didn't see the long distance working. I guess back in the 70s, it'd probably be pretty hard to do long distance, like only having snail mail and a telephone. Anyways, (laughs) that would, uh, yeah, probably not work out. But eventually, after Shelly moved back to Washington, she started working for her dad at one of his nursing homes. And she was a really bad worker. But anyways, I digress. She called up Randy, telling him that she missed him, that she wanted him to come move out to Washington to be with her, and that she could come work for her father as a maintenance tech and um, boarding would be provided so he wouldn't have to pay rent. 
So Randy moved to Washington to be with Shelly, and they got married in February of 73. Les was so happy, so happy that she had this man in her life that could whisk her away from Les and not be, she wouldn't be his problem anymore. Unfortunately, that didn't last long, <laughs> as, you'll, as we're going to see. Shelly's real true nature, it didn't take long for it to come out towards Randy. Like, she treated him like, like absolute garbage, especially after their first daughter was born, Nikki. She was born in 75. And by then, Shelly was locking Randy out of the house. I shouldn't be laughing. This is awful. She would lock him out of the house, especially like if he was out drinking or out doing something because we are all adults here. We can all have fun outside of our marriages. So that's my take on that. But she would get pissed and she would just lock him out and Randy would just give up and just sleep in his car like he didn't care. Obviously, the manipulation, I can imagine, only got worse and worse and worse. And Randy finally had enough and moved back to Pennsylvania. Eventually, eventually, as in two weeks later, Shelly called him saying that she wanted to fix the marriage so that Nikki could grow up with a father, blah, 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 blah. So Shelly and Nikki moved to Pennsylvania to be with Randy. Two weeks after that, they filed for divorce. And this isn't funny at all because Shelly obviously took Nikki back to Washington and she would then tell Nikki all of her life that her father didn't love her, her maternal grandparents on her father's side didn't love her, only to find out years and years later that they had been sending her gifts, they had been sending her cards, you know, birthday cards, Christmas cards. So it's truly, this is just a glimpse at the, 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 I don't even have words for it. Just the awfulness of Shelly. Someone needed to punch her in the face when she was a kid. I feel like that might have fixed things. Probably not, but regardless, Shelly clearly could not be an independent woman. She was really shitty at her job working for her dad to the point where she got fired Went to go work for another nursing home, got fired there, and would just kind of bounce back going back and forth working for her dad until finally it was just enough and he just did not welcome her back. When Nikki was younger, she did work as a server, but that did not last long and that would be her last job that she would have for a long time. So Shelly could not be on her own. She's not very independent and she met Danny Long shortly after um her and randy split up and they got married in 1978 and then that same year shelly's second daughter sammy was born danny didn't really put up with well he put up with shelly for five years but he didn't really he would like fight back not like i don't he wouldn't like physically fight back but he didn't put up with her bullshit and her manipulations and stuff like that like he didn't allow her to just treat him like garbage because no one should allow someone to treat them like garbage <laughs> absolutely not <sighs> okay so sammy was born like i said the marriage lasted five years and after that shelly met dave Notek. so after her divorce from danny shelly met dave Notek, 
And him, Shelley, and the girls moved to Raymond, Washington in 1983. They married then four years later in 87, and Shelley's best friend, Kathy Loreno, was one of the witnesses at their wedding. I don't think it was a very big wedding, probably more of like a courthouse one. I mean, fuck, it's her third marriage. So... It's not surprising that Shelly treated Dave like absolute garbage. She treated Randy and Danny like garbage, so obviously she's going to treat Dave like it. And Dave just took it. He just absolutely took it. He, it's really sad, but he just sat there while Shelly would call him worthless, tell him he's a terrible husband, that he doesn't care for her and the girls because he doesn't work hard enough. She would even, you know, smack him around. But at the same time, the manipulation comes in because the next day or maybe even 30 minutes later after an altercation, Shelly would be like, I love you so much, Dave. And this goes the same for the girl. This goes to (laughs) this goes for all of her victims. She was always lovey dovey Shelly. And that's what makes her an abuser, because in these cases of abuse, they love you one minute, they show you, you know, the, the good side of them, and then once they have you in their grasp and you're not going anywhere, then that's when the monster really starts to come out. And it's really rather tragic because people blame victims of abuse so often for not getting out, but it's not easy to get out. It's not. And we'll leave it at that. It's not easy to get out. So Dave took it because he loved Shelly and he thought she loved him because she she would say, I love you and all of that shit. So their house in Raymond burned down, burned to the ground. And they moved to Old Willapa in Washington. Like I said in my intro, Shelly made Dave into the monster that he would become. I will say this, he definitely lives with guilt and remorse for the things that he did. And, but we need to recognize that none of this would ever have happened. He would have never done the things that you're going to learn that he did if it wasn't for Shelly. She turned him into this monster. It doesn't excuse the things that he did because he is a grown man. You know, he knew right from wrong. But the years of abuse from Shelly turned him into this monster who would commit crimes. So it's really just sad. And... They moved to this house in Old Willapa, and the girls are starting to get older. Not like teenagers older, but you know, like they're getting older, school age. And this is where Shelly would start to abuse her daughters. Shelly would claim that her abuse was discipline for bad behavior. But the thing here is, Shelly would discipline the girls for no reason or it could be the tiniest thing of you didn't put something back where it belonged heaven forbid a like six-year-old forgets to put something away when they're done you know they're these are children you uh, 
as parents, we are there to teach them and to help them grow into adults. So we can't expect these big things from our kids. They're going to make mistakes and that is okay. But Shelly didn't think so and she would beat the girls. Um, She would use objects like phone cords. She would verbally abuse them while she was doing this. And I think one of the worst things to me personally that I think she would do to them as a child is she would give them, you know, good Christmases, good birthdays, take that as you will. And then, you know, the next day or whatever, one of the girls would quote unquote do something bad and she would take it all away from them. Like, how cruel is that to go through that your whole childhood? That's just not that's not cool. And Shelly got so bad to the point where she was like, I'm going to control your bathroom privileges. So no more showers and no more using the toilet without my permission. Yep, you heard that, folks. No more showers, no more toilet for the girls. For the girls. They're kids. It's crazy. Both girls got abused. And unfortunately, Nikki being the oldest, she got the most of it. It there's we're going to go through some of the things that she would do to them. So she would obviously beat them, which on its own, that is rule that is, on its own. That is grounds for Shelly needing to be locked the fuck up, throw away the key, never let her out again. Mm-mm. So Nikki got the worst of it. And Shelly came up with a punishment for Nikki where she would tell her to strip down naked, go out into the yard, and she would make Dave grab the hose and sit there and blast Nikki with the cold water. It didn't matter the weather. It could be snowing out. It could be hot as fuck out. It didn't matter. And Dave would stand there and just spray Nikki while she would have to basically squat in the grass and be sprayed with the hose and all the time she's like I'm I'm sorry mom I what I don't know I'm sorry I won't do it again and half the time when these girls would say I won't do it again they didn't know what they did wrong it's awful and that would go on for a while 10 plus minutes and that's just truly awful And then Shelly would go inside and she would go up and she would say, okay, Nikki, now it's bath time. And she would pour a hot water only bath for Nikki and make her get in. Mm -hmm. Forced her. Like in those, in the movies, like in um, like psych ward movies and stuff, like the really dark, scary ones where they make the patients take like these steaming boiling hot baths like that's what I I don't try to envision but that's what I imagine it would be like especially after coming inside after being sprayed with cold water that Nikki like so the girls would obviously have cuts bruises burns all kinds of stuff all over their bodies and Shelly had worked around enough nurses in her life and read enough medical books to feel like she could just care for them she was essentially their doctor they didn't go to the doctor so any injury or anything bleach was the answer bleach 
would clean and disinfect the wounds. So, like one example, Shelly was chasing Nikki around the house, telling her she's going to beat the fuck out of her. And she eventually got to Nikki and pushed her through this glass door in their kitchen. And Shelly was instantly, look what you made me do. And Nikki was cut all over the place. She got pushed through this glass pane door. That's fucking wild. And Shelly then bandaged her up and called it a day. As Nikki's quote-unquote behavior got worse, which to me, it was never bad to begin with. Nikki would get locked in her room for days at a time, even weeks. Shelly would just give her a bucket to use as her toilet, and that was that. And Nikki would only be allowed out to empty her bucket, and then Shelly would be the one to tell her when she could finally come out of her room. That was another punishment that Nikki endured. Like I said, guys, everything I'm sharing today is just the tip of the iceberg. If we were really going to get into everything... I mean, this would have to be like a 10-part fucking series. (laughs) So the girls kept getting the abuse. Nikki always seemed to get the worst of it. And then Shane Watson, who was Shelly's younger brother's son, came and moved in with them in the house. He came and moved in with them to the house in Old Willapa. Shane's dad was a criminal in and out of prison, and his mom uh, was a drug addict, so Shane just did not have the best upbringing, and Shelly always doted on him. She always said, you're like a son to me, Shane. So eventually she was like, Dave, Shane's going to move in because he has nowhere to go, because it came to the point where Shane had nowhere to go and no one to take care of him. So Shane moved in when he was 13 years old in 88. As you can imagine, a new person in the household, a new child, he then became the focus of the abuse. But don't forget that Nikki and Sammy still endured it. And some of Shane's abuse would even include Nikki. Um, That wallowing punishment that I explained earlier, both Nikki and Shane would be out there having to do it together. She would make them, like, strip down naked and dance in the living room. Like, that's weird. She would make them take pills. She would feed them pills. She would feed them pills that would essentially make them feel better. But really, they were, like, heavy prescription drugs that make you essentially feel paralyzed. When Shane first moved in, his room was in this, like, tiny little room in the basement of the house. And this house had a, it was like a diesel-fueled furnace or something like that for the heat. So it was pretty rough down there. And it didn't take too long for Shane to lose most of his clothes. And he wasn't allowed to shower or use the toilet either. Sometimes Shelly would take them outside and give them her form of a shower where she would just spray them with the hose and then use her magical bleach to clean them because in Shelly's household, bleach was soap, which if you know, you shouldn't put bleach, let alone on your body, you should not put it in open wounds. That's brutal. 
So this is just how life went for them. And life went on. That same year in 88, Shelly's best friend Kathy, uh, Kathy Loreno, who was a witness at her uh, Shelly and Dave's wedding, moved into the house because she was having issues with her mom. Um, the relationship there was rough. They still loved one another, but she just couldn't live with her mom anymore. So Shelly said, come on in. Kathy was a hairstylist, but eventually Shelly talked her into quitting her job, saying that she would take care of her. Shelly was pregnant with her and Dave's daughter, Tori. So Tori is the third daughter of Shelly's, and this will be the last child that she has. So she told she told Kathy to quit her job. You know, she'll take care of her, and that way Kathy can be there to help with the baby, to help take care of Shelly. You know, everything's all about Shelly, and Kathy loved Shelly. She doted on Shelly. She loved Shelly because she was like, Shelly's taking care of me. I have to... I have to do everything that I can for this woman because she's taking care of me. And at first, the relationship was great. You know, she had um, this little tiny space. So Nikki and Sammy had their own rooms. And I guess in between their rooms, there was like this little space. So Shelly moved all of um, Kathy's furniture and her bed into this little space. So she had her own little room. Everything was so great. You know, they were having a good time. They did everything. Kathy was even the one in the room when Tori um, was born. That's how close they were. But even while Shelly was still pregnant, it did not take long for the abuse to start towards Kathy. It started with just like little things like Kathy, like maybe didn't make a meal the right way. Basically, anything Kathy did was the wrong way to Shelly. And she would tell her that with verbal abuse and eventually she would start hitting her. She would even, she would beat her when she was like eight months pregnant. So obviously Kathy cannot hit a pregnant woman, you know? I mean, me personally, if I got a pregnant woman beating the fuck out of me, I'm at least going to, you know, sock her in the face. But I get it. Kathy was like, uh, you know, like, okay, I'm wrong. I messed up. I got to do better. And that's just how it was. (laughs) The manipulation to Kathy is just so tragic. She had, Shelly had Kathy convinced that she was, that Kathy was a sleepwalker. And in her sleep, she would eat all of the food in the house. So that was another abuse tactic that Shelly would use because she would, belittle her for eating all the food and being overweight even though Kathy was beautiful she's a beautiful woman and she would like Shelly would like hide stuff under her bed in the middle of the night and it'd be like hat like a half-eaten pie and like stuff like that and then she would like the next day go find it in Kathy's room and she'd be like Kathy you did it again it was awful it's terrible Especially because then Shelly would be like, well, I'm here to take care of you. I'm here to take care of you. And she would be all great. But then she would be like, Kathy, you can't do anything right. And then the beatings would start. And then Shelly claimed she had cancer. Surprise, surprise, folks. She did not have cancer. But she played it off so well. She Dave would take her to her appointments. And she, they would last eight hours. And Dave would sit in the waiting room for eight hours 
Yeah. <laughs> there was never any insurance bills, never any medical bills. Dave never met any of her doctors. Shelly did not have cancer. And of, years later, then she she's kept up this cancer thing for years, too. And her stepmom, Judy, was even like, you know, I've I've known people with cancer and it's, you know, you would think you'd be dead by now if you claim it is the way it is. And then years later, Shelly would then claim she had lupus. And that's just another uh, manipulative tactic of Shelly's, because if she tells people she's sick, they're going to feel bad for her and they're going to want to help her. And no sick woman with cancer could do any wrong, right? But remember, she was never sick. The sleepwalking thing with Kathy wasn't even the weirdest thing. She would force Kathy to ride in the trunk of the car whenever the family would go anywhere because Shelly didn't want to leave Kathy home alone. She would tell Kathy it's for your protection so I can keep you safe, but we all know it's so that Kathy couldn't go and call for help. And Kathy did try to run away, but Kathy always found her. Or I'm I'm sorry, Kathy would try Kathy would run away. But Shelly always found her and would always bring her home. So with Kathy, Shelly would make Shane and Dave get in on the abuse. Like, so Dave worked in the lumber industry and he wore steel-toed boots for work and Shelly would tell him to kick her in the head or kick her in the stomach. And then she would also force Shane to hit her and whatnot. One night... Kathy did something just so bad. I think she like pooped in a plastic container because Kathy didn't want to have to wake Shelly up so that she could use the bathroom. And Dave then went out and constructed a waterboarding contraption. And Shelly watched as Dave waterboarded Kathy. Yeah. Eventually, Shelly took all of Kathy's personal things away. She lost her bed and was moved to sleep in the oil room in the basement. It's this like little tiny space that was right next to the basement stairs. And she just had a mattress. Eventually she didn't really have anything. And all this time she was being, being force fed these prescription pills, the same ones that she would give um, Shane and the girls. And it turns out, like, one of them was lorazepam. Lorazepam? Lorazepam. And all kinds of other stuff. Mainly, I cannot pronounce them, so... <laughs> but you get what I'm saying. If she's given her lorazepam, that that's some serious shit. She also would bathe Kathy with the bleach and to clean her wounds. Bleach, bleach, bleach. Shelly was all about bleach. And even Dave was convinced that bleach was the way. He... Like, at the end of his road, he admitted, like, I had no idea bleach was that bad for the human body. I mean, I always thought it was kind of common sense, but I guess not. Through all this abuse, Kathy began to deteriorate. Her teeth started falling out. She was losing weight drastically because Shelly controlled when and what she would eat. She was just was never bathed like I said when she would be bathed it would be with bleach and usually in the backyard being sprayed by the hose 
eventually, for whatever reason, in 1992, Shelley moved the whole family to this tiny, tiny little farmhouse in Raymond, Washington. And it was tiny, so it had two bedrooms upstairs, and then the master bedroom was downstairs with one bathroom, and I'm... no shocker the bathroom was directly next to the master bedroom so Shelly would be able to hear if anybody tried to use the bathroom but the land was pretty big so it had a big yard and it had quite a few buildings on the property it had a large pole building a chicken coop a pump house a tool shed a well house and each of the girls got their own room upstairs Tori stayed in the master bedroom with Shelly because she was still pretty young at this point. She was about um, one or two. And Shane slept in Nikki's closet. And then Kathy just kind of slept where there was room. Like she would sleep on the living room floor. Eventually she'd be moved into the laundry room. And all of this is going on. And Kathy just continues to deteriorate. On one really bad day... Uh, in July 1994, Kathy stopped breathing. So Dave had come home and Shane was home and they heard Kathy making like these really weird noises. She couldn't talk. She couldn't move. She was just laying there and they both agreed like she needs some medical attention. But Shelly said, no, 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 she's fine. And Dave and Shane basically sat there and watched Kathy take her last breaths no one was able to call 911. Obviously, you know why Shelly wouldn't want Kathy in the hospital because they're going to notice all of these exterior bruises and cuts all over Kathy's body. And they're also going to wonder how she ever got into this condition. So Kathy died, unfortunately. And it's really tragic because she died after all of this, all of these years of abuse. That is what caused her death, was this abuse, all this medication, everything. It's tragic. And Shelly left it up to Dave to clean up. And he did what he was told. Shelly took Shane and the girls to a motel for a couple of days. And Dave got to work in the backyard. He um, cremated her in his own way. So... He used their burn pit in the backyard and so to cremate a human body for it to be pretty much all ash with very little bone left over, it needs to be extremely hot and it needs to burn for quite a while. So he grabbed some steel sheets and he used diesel fuel to make the fire really hot and after five hours he scraped up Um, the ashes and the bone fragments that were left, drove off to Long Beach, and he threw Kathy's remains into the ocean. I think right here is where we're going to end the first part of this. Um, In the next episode, we'll talk about how Shelly covered up Kathy's death. We'll talk about um, what happens to Shane. We'll continue on the tragic abuse that Sammy and Nikki endured and eventually Tori endures and then Shelly's last victim 
will come up in the next episode. So sit tight. If you're going to listen just one after another, awesome. If not, take it easy and stay safe, my friends. Thanks for listening to Oh, There's a Crime. Cover photo by FancyCrave1 at Pixabay.com. Intro and outro music by Darren Curtis. Visit his website at DarrenCurtisMusic.com. Thank you.